0: Good morning, Redeemer. Good morning. Grace and peace be multiplied to each of you in the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is good to be here with you uh, this morning. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Travell, um, and I'm a member here at Redeemer. I serve and our hospitality team, and also serve with our children and journey kids and in our youth and high school ministry. So it is good to be here with you, and on occasion, uh, the elders allow me the opportunity to serve you in this way with the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalms, the 67th chapter, Psalm 67, and while you're finding your way there, if you would allow me, I'm going to... uh, Say a word of prayer for our time together, we'll read the text, and then we'll get started. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time together that we can come and share as your people gather on this Lord's day as a body of believers. So now, God, as we come to hear your word, we pray um, that we would not just be hearers of your word, deceiving ourselves, but we would be effectual doers of your word. Help us to see clearly in your word today that you have a, a mission for us, a call on our lives to obey you and serve you so that the nations may come to know and worship and fear the Lord. Help us this morning to see your word clearly through the preaching. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalms 67, we'll look at that, Psalm 67. This is the word of the Lord. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us make his face shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you. O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. And guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the people praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, as you can obviously see, we're going to take a step out of the series that we're walking through in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at this text in Psalm 67. And Psalm 67 is it's not the most well-known out of many of the famous psalms, um, but prominence and significance don't often walk together hand in hand. Um, and such is the case with this psalm here. Psalm 67, though it is somewhat an obscure psalm to so many of us, Psalm 67, it has an important message that can change your life and can change the world. The message of this psalm Is that the Lord God desires to use your life to reach the world for His glory. That's the entire sermon. If you get anything from this, I want you to get this. This is the main point of the sermon. It's the point of the message, of the text. That the Lord God desires to use your life to reach the world for His glory. The Lord God desires to use your life to reach the world for His glory. Psalm 67, it's considered uh, the missionary psalm. It's considered this because of its emphasis that it places on God being known, being praised, being enjoyed, and being feared by all the nations. In fact, this psalm, Psalm 67, it emphasizes the worship of God being spread to all the nations more than any other psalm. But yet, this missionary psalm has a very personal dimension as a member of God's covenant people the writer begins this psalm by asking for God's blessing and he ends the psalm with anticipation of the blessing that he asked for and the idea that I want to impress upon you this morning from this psalm is that the writer's personal desire for blessing and his missionary zeal are not in conflict They are harmoniously related, and in fact, they're even dependent on each other. Yes, the psalmist wants to be blessed. But more than that, he wants to be blessed. He wants to be a channel of God's blessing, not a terminal. He wants to be a river of God's blessing and not a reservoir. He wants to be a pipeline of God's blessings to others and not a faucet into his own house. He wanted to be blessed to be a blessing. And I want to submit to you today that this is how God desires to operate in and through our lives and in the life of this church. God desires to use you, God desires to use you and God desires to use me to reach the world for his glory. I think, if you're like me, I know what you may be thinking now. And I asked these same questions as I studied and meditated on the message of this psalm. And the question that I was asking, is is it really true? Does God really want to use me to reach the world? Does God actually want to use me, someone like me, to reach the ends of the world? Does God want me even to be uprooted and planted into a foreign land as a missionary? And the answers to these questions is yes. The answer's also no. Yes, God is calling all of us to reach the world for his glory. God is calling, yes, some of us to go into foreign fields to do the missionary work. And I encourage you this morning, To heed the call that is on your life. That's not the case for all of us. And this is complicated because I know what happens as soon as I say that's not the case for all of us. Everyone in the room goes, "Whew!" he's not talking to me. But you should deeply consider if God is calling you into that foreign land missionary work. But that's not the case for all of us. In fact, there's a story told about a king who was converted to Christ And what he decided to do was denounce his throne so that he can better serve Christ with his life. And through prayer, the Lord spoke to him and said that he needed to stay on the throne because it would be best to serve him as king. The point of the story is that the Lord calls every single Christian to be a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary. And for some of us, that will look like leaving our country and going to a foreign land to obey that call. But if that's not the case for you, the Lord is still calling you to embrace the mission that is on your life right where you are. God wants to use you to reach the world for his glory. And I believe that this psalm will reveal to us three ways in which God wants to use us to reach the world. So we have three points. Here they are. God wants to use you so that the world may know him. So that the world may know him. God wants to use you so that the world may worship him. And God wants to use you so that the world may fear him. Three points and I'm out your way. Number one, God wants to use you so that the world may know him. In the book of Numbers, the sixth chapter... And verses 24, beginning at verse 24, you've heard it, you know it. God commands Moses to instruct Aaron and his sons, who are the priests, to bless the people with these words. He says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This priestly benediction is the same prayer of the psalmist in our text. Verse 1, look again, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Now I'm reading from the English Standard Version but the King James Version uses the word merciful instead of grace in verse 1 but the word gracious is a more accurate translation for the text and in fact In number six, that same word is translated as gracious. It's generally the same thing uh, that we see in these kinds of priestly blessings. And I bring this up because the distinction is significant. The psalmist is not asking here for God's mercy. God's mercy is it restrains the divine punishment that we all deserve. But he asks for God's grace. And God's grace is what... God gives us, he grants us a divine blessing for what we do not deserve. And this is the request of the psalmist. That God may be gracious to us and to bless us and to make his face shine upon us. Now notice that the gracious blessing that he's talking about here, the blessings of God are pictured here in human terms with the face of God shining upon his children. The psalmist did not want to experience the darkness of having God turn his face away from him, so he asked God to smile on him in such a way that the glory of his shining face would light up his life. So simply put, the psalmist is asking for God to bless his people in a great way. And this request teaches us that there is absolutely, hear me, there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking for God to bless your life. In, in a real sense, the blessings that we're asking God for, the blessings that the psalmist here is asking for in our text, were well, already his. The point of the priestly blessing was to remind Israel that God, that they were God's blessed people. And so in Numbers chapter 6 verse 27, after the priestly blessing is given, God says this. He says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. If you have received the Lord Jesus as your savior and as the Lord of your life, by faith, then you've already been blessed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with Christ, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing of the heavenly blessings. If you are in Christ, in Christ, you are a blessed people. And through Christ, we have access to the blessings of God in our lives. And so in verse 1, it records the request of God's blessing. And then in verse 2, it records the intended result of those blessings. Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And so the psalmist here teaches, he teaches us how to pray both personally and selflessly at the same time. So he prays here for the blessings of God on his life. But he was not just thinking about himself, he was not just thinking about his family and his tribe or his own nation, he was thinking about people that he most likely would never personally come to meet. He was thinking about all the nations of the earth. And so the psalmist here, he prays personally and selflessly at the same time. And his example confronts us with the fact that we should never seek God's blessing primarily for our own comfort, for our own benefit, or for our own prosperity. And that's a word for us, especially in the world that we live in, where comfort and our benefit and our prosperity is a huge thing that we want to prioritize in this world. But we do not seek the God's blessing for our own comfort, benefit, or prosperity. Warren whispering who's a great Bible teacher, he was the pastor of the Moody Church here in Chicago, he says this, says a blessing is a gift from God that glorifies his name, helps his people, and through them reaches out to help others who will then glorify his name. That's what true blessings are. So mark it down. God blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. And God will soon stop sending blessings to you if God cannot send blessings through you. So the psalmist prayed. He prayed for personal blessings with a selfless intention that your way may be known on the earth. Your saving powers among all nations. The psalmist wanted to be blessed, make no doubt about it. But he wanted to be blessed so that others may come to know God's way. And the implication here is that people will not, check that, people cannot know God naturally. They cannot know God automatically. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they ate us out of a house and a home. And our own sin and our lives has shut us out of our way to God the way of truth, the way of righteousness, the way of forgiveness, the way to heaven. and the good news here's the good news is that there is a way back to God and God wants to use you and God wants to use me to show lost people their way back home to God. God wants to use wants to use us to get the message out that the only way back to God is through the righteous life in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 5, one of Jesus' disciples by the name of Thomas, he, he says, Lord, I do not know where you're going, so how can I know the way? And In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answers back to Thomas and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, those of us who live on this side of Christmas, on this side of Good Friday, on this side of Easter, we know that God's way and his saving power are only known through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we should then pray, we should serve, and we should live in a way that everyone will come to know who Jesus is. God wants to use you so that the world may come to know him. But not only does he want us to know him, when we know him, we will then begin to worship him. So number two, God wants to use you so that the world may worship him. It's here in the opening verses of this psalm that the writer prays for the blessings of God so that all the nations might come to know God's ways and his saving power. But in verses three through five, It shows us that evangelism itself is not our main goal. The salvation of the nation is simply a means to an infinitely greater end. That end is the glory of God. We pray that the nations may know God so that the nations may worship God. In a book called Let the Nations Be Glad, the writer John Piper he writes this he says missions is not the ultimate goal of the church worship is missions is not the ultimate goal of the church worship is missions exist because worship doesn't worship is ultimate not missions because God is ultimate not man That statement there is the passion of the psalmist in our text. He is convinced that God is worthy of the highest praise. And it is expressed by his longing that all nations would join him in praising God. In fact, this is the refrain of the psalm. Psalm 67. It's recorded in verse 3 and it's repeated again in verse 5. Let all the peoples praise you. O God, let all the people praise you. The author of this psalm is anonymous. We don't know who wrote it, but whoever it is, it it is clear that he is a true worshiper of the Lord God. That is proven by the fact that he is one who worshiped God and spirit in his truth. And he has not been found in his personal worship. That's not found in his personal worship or in his corporate worship. But it's found in the proof that he wants the world to know who God is. He wants even the Gentiles those who are not the chosen people of God to repent and believe and worship the true and the living God. It is his desire that the world, the nations would come to know God. It's his desire. He repeats what we see in Psalms chapter 100 verse number one. He wants to make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. All of the earth praising God. This it's a passionate longing of every true worshiper. There's a hymn and it says this. It has a refrain. It says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and the King and the triumphs of his grace. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing of the glory of my great God. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, it records what we call the great commission and Jesus there declares that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that I command you and behold I am with you always even to the end of the age this is our mission that we would go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son of the holy spirit and we witnessed that this morning with baptism and we witnessed that with the taking of the lord's supper jesus gives us a great promise as we go out to do the work of god to live on mission he gives us a promise that he will be with us always even to the end of the age jesus christ is the sovereign lord that reigns over all creation and it's, he has charged us, his followers, to lead those who do not know him to repent of their sins, trust him for salvation, and follow him in obedience. But note the scope of the mission. Jesus does not call us to make disciples. Hear me. Jesus does not call us to make disciples of our families, of our friends, of our coworkers, of our neighbors, even though... The unsaved people in our circle of influence, they need our witness for the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus calls us to a mission that is far greater than just our families and friends. He calls us to make disciples of all nations, of all the unreached people of the world. The mission is just as small as your your home and your neighborhood but it's just as big as billions of people around the world. Yet Jesus, because Jesus has authority over all creation, all the nations of the world should love him, trust him, and serve him. This is the ultimate goal of our evangelism. That's what we want. This is the ultimate goal of our evangelism, of the missions, of our outreach, that a greater number of people would become worshipers of the Lord. And so this psalm tells us that, and it uses a literary device. Um, it's a statement that repeats itself to give emphasis on what is said in between the statements. So what it is in Psalm 67 in verses 3 and 5, we have a refrain. The psalm expresses as long as that all the people would be converted so that they may worship God. Let all the people praise you, O God, let all the people praise you. That's the refrain. But in verse 4, Verse 4 is the central and the pivotal statement of the psalmist he wants to put the emphasis on. He wants you to really notice this. Look at verse 4. He says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. So true worship is a two-sided coin. It is rooted in both personal experience and external truth and The Westminster Shorter Catechism explains it best. The chief end of man, it says, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man. These are the two sides of our worship. The glory of God is to rise far above and beyond us, but the enjoyment of our God is to dwell within us. And our text this morning reflects that. Verses 3 and 5 calls for the nations to glorify God. Let all the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. But verse 4 calls that the nations would enjoy God. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why should the nations of the earth renounce their idols, turn to the true and living God, and sing for joy? Or verse 4 gives us two reasons for that. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. This statement, first a statement, he says, you judge the people with equity. That statement, it affirms the holy justice of God. And then he says, and you guide all the nations upon the earth. That statement, it affirms the sovereign authority of our God. It does not point to these things, these divine attributes of God as reasons to avoid God in our search for joy. But rather it presents these two things as reasons of why the unsaved, the unbelieving people ought to be converted and sing for joy in God. He tells us two things. There is joy in the holy justice of God. There's joy there. Verse 4 says, you judge the peoples with equity. And I know it may sound odd to speak of finding joy in the judgment of God. But the psalmist does not call the nations uh, to be glad about that God is going to judge, about the judgment of God itself. But what he does is he calls them to rejoice in the manner in which God judges. He says, God judges people with truth with equity and with righteousness. The nation should be glad in God because you can trust that God will always do what is right. And we should not indict God because of all of the uh, poverty and violence and oppression and injustice and racism that is very rampant in our world. We don't blame God for that. We don't blame his justice for that. We blame sin for that. Not God. Instead, we should measure God's holy justice to the cross of Christ. It was there that God judged the nations by placing the guilt of our sin on his own son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21, Jennifer read it doing an offering. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed all of our sins so that by faith he might treat us as if we had performed all of the righteousness of Christ. There is joy in the holy justice of God. There's also joy in the sovereign authority of God. Verse 4, look again, let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you just the peoples with equity and... You guide the nations upon the earth. The nations of the world are in need of guidance. Amen? But then, if we understand that the nations need guidance, where then can we go to find that guidance? The psalmist says that the nations should rejoice in the fact that God guides the nations. This term, guard or guide, excuse me, guide, does not refer to the wisdom with which God works in the world, but it refers to the authority in which God works. Again, looking at a different translation, the King James Version renders this, that God, he says, God will govern the nations on earth. I like that. God will govern he, the nations on earth. He rules over the nations. It's stated again in Psalms 103 in verse 9. The Bible says that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rule over all. Our God is sovereign, he's in complete and total control. He's sovereign. That means that he reigns in perfect authority over everything and everyone at all times. God is in charge of everything, he's sovereign. I was raised in the faith by my grandmother, and she was a great theologian. She wouldn't have said he's sovereign. She would say it like this. God is God all by himself, and he doesn't need anybody else. God needs counsel. He goes to his own will to counsel. God is sovereign. He's in complete and total control. Listen, and that shouldn't turn us off. We should rejoice and be glad to know that our lives and the direction of this world is not the result of chance. It's not by accident. It's not by circumstances. God is in control. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know. That all things work together for good. For those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. God guides, he guards, and he governs everything that happens in this world. And the nation should rejoice that he has the whole world in his hands. When we come to know God, we will then worship God. When we worship God... We will then have a fear of God. That's number three. God wants to use you so that the world may fear him. The world may fear him. So this psalm, Psalm 67, it ends in the same way that it begins, with the statement about what it means to be blessed. The A part of verse 6 describes the blessed life in agricultural terms. It says the earth has yielded its increase. And the grammar of Psalm 67 is somewhat complex. And so consequently, uh, the translators, as you dig into this text, they kind of disagree on whether this particular phrase should be yielded in a past tense as the earth has yielded its increase or if it should be translated in a future tense that the earth shall yield its increase. But either way, both are good things. It, both statements will affirm the faithfulness of God. Foundationally, this statement highlights human inability. Think about it. The farmer works the field, but he cannot yield from the earth its increase. God must bring the harvest. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7 Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the increase. Paul did not produce harvest on his own. And so he needed a partner. He went, and he labored with a man named Apollos. But Paul and Apollos couldn't produce a harvest together either. All of their labors would be in vain if God did not bring forth the growth, if He did not bring forth the increase, make it grow. So the fact that God causes the Earth to do what it does to bring forth increase, it affirms that we can trust the faithfulness of God. We can trust that God will take care of us when we cannot take care of ourselves. He's faithful. Um, That great hymn, Great Is Thou Faithfulness, the second stanza of that says, Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, they join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, thy mercy and love. The earth is yielding a harvest, and God makes that happen. You can trust him. And so, the picture of the earth yielding forth its harvest is a picture that is consistent with what generally is the unnoticed manner in which God takes cares of his people. Uh, Think about it. The process of growing crops in the field is not a noisy or obvious or a sensational thing. The earth yields its increase quietly. But... It is a mighty work of God that only happens because of his faithfulness. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, God punishes Adam's sins by declaring this. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorn and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And so because of sin, all we can produce is thorn and thistles. Only God can make the earth yield its increase. What does that mean? It means God is faithful to provide. The faithfulness of God is not often seen in sensational ways. It's not seen in a new this or bigger that or a better than the other. The faithfulness of God is regularly demonstrated in the ordinary ways that God takes care of his children you have life health and strength because God is faithful you have shelter and clothing and food because God is faithful you have family and friends and loved ones because God is faithful God provides because he's faithful those are things that we take for granted on a daily basis but God is faithful to provide So verses 6 and 7, it reads, the earth has yielded its increase, God our God shall bless us, God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. And in verse 1, the psalmist here, he prays that God would be gracious to him and bless him. And then in verses 6 and 7, he announces the future arrival of God's blessing with a confident expectation. But he does not do this except without considering the favor of God on his life. He's confident that God is faithful because God says that he is his own. He has the favor of God. And I submit to you that God is faithful. And because of that, he's faithful. You can live with the expectation of the blessings of God on your life. In Lamentations chapter number 3, verses 23 through 24, the Bible says, but this I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will trust in him. Here are the promises of God. He's faithful. He will provide. He will take care of you. Your response to that is, therefore, I will trust in him. You can trust him. He's ready and willing and able to bless you in great ways. And the ways that our, he uses his blessings in our lives, we will show them off and the nations will fear him. Verse 7, God shall bless us. And let all the ends of the earth fear him. So let's talk about that. What is the fear of God? The fear of God is awe. It's holy reverence for God. You see him in all of his holiness and his majesty and how majestic he is. And you have a jaw-dropping awe of the wonder of God. And it causes you to honor him and to worship him. The fear of God is really what it is. It is the fear of God. There ought to be some things that, when you think of God, makes your jaw drop. You have an awe, a wonder for Him. And God blesses our lives, and the goal of God's blessing our lives ultimately is so that the nations will fear Him. They will come to an awesome wonder and reverence of who God is. Here's the good news: that when you fear God, you don't have to fear anything. And I really want to find a way, I tried to find a way to express this to you, but there's no better way than just reading scripture to you. So I got three verses I want to read to you. When you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. Psalms 23 verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Death is not something we have to fear. Because of our fear of God. Psalms 46 verses 1 through 3. The Bible says God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though the waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at his swelling. We have nothing to fear. Lastly, this is my favorite. Psalms 118 Verse 6, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear, for what can man do to me? This is the truth of an awesome wonder of who God is. When you come to know who God is, when you come to have a fear of God, I don't have to fear anything. For the Lord is on my side, I will not fear, For what can man do to me? This is the call that God has on our lives for each and every one of us. Whether He calls you to a foreign field or He calls you right where you are, God is calling you to reach the world for His glory. We do that by making Him known. And when you come to know Him, ultimately, you will come to worship Him. And worshiping God will lead to the fear of God. This is our prayer. The question is are you on mission? Are you on mission? Are you living a life in such a way that shows off the glory and the wonders of the salvation you proclaim? This is my prayer for our church. Let's get on mission and stay there. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. It's challenging to us to know that you are calling us to a mission that's far greater than what we even think. It's not just our family and our friends and our co-workers, our neighbors, but God, you're calling us, you're calling me to reach the world for your glory. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people that live in such a way that honors the mission that you've given us, that we would go and make disciples. We will make your name known among the nations. Help us. Father, we pray that as the seed of the water has been, the seed of the word has been watered and planted, we pray that you bring forth your increase. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.